Well, good evening. We're really glad that you chose to be with us this evening. I know you had a lot of choices of how to spend this evening. We're glad that you made the choice to be here. Now, typically we spend a lot of time on Good Friday focusing on the extreme sacrifice that was that was that happened on our behalf. And really, uh, we want to do a, a little something different tonight as if uh, to give us a chance to get a little fuller picture of all that was going on with what Jesus did on our behalf. I remember some years back, I was on staff at Willow Creek Community Church, and, uh, and Mel Gibson actually came and he, he did a, a previewing of the Passion of the Christ uh, for our staff. And I remember that was the first time that I'd ever really seen visually what it looked like for the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. And I remember just like, just watching that and just, just broken. I don't know if you can picture yourself where you're at the first time. Maybe you saw that, that film as well. But I remember just had, having an emotional response that I just couldn't stop crying. Just thinking about the, the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through for me. For me. And I remember at the, at the end of that film, I came, came to the conclusion. I was like, Jesus, I, I made a promise with myself. I was like, Jesus, I will never forget what you did for me. I'll never forget. I'll never forget the price that was paid on my behalf. And so while this evening we want to take, make sure that we're remembering what happened on the cross, we also want to take a few pauses and some snapshots of some of the things that were happening on the peripheral. Because the truth was that was only part of the picture, what was happening on the cross. The truth is, is that Jesus' whole world was unraveling around him. So we're going to go on a, on a guided tour, if you will, on some of the things that were happening at our expense.
Have you ever thought about the night that Jesus was betrayed? After giving the first communion with his friends, those same friends, as Luke twenty two twenty four says, began disagreeing about who was the greatest among them. Really? Jesus spent three years with these guys. He taught them, fellas, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. These are the true disciples. These are the true followers. And he comes to his final hours and they begin arguing about status. I can't even imagine what Jesus was going through, what he was thinking, that palm to the forehead moment of going, what is going on? But in the same way, I examine my own life and think about status, comparing cars, comparing houses with neighbors, And I think about the thoughts that I've had, the words that I've spoken, and I reflect on what Jesus has taught me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Deny yourself. Give of yourself. And we have these same moments in our own lives. Just like the disciples we can have those moments where we fall away and we turn to what we want versus what God wants. And this begins the story of Jesus' final hours here on earth. What was going through Jesus' head with his friends that night? I can only imagine. Have you ever thought about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was betrayed? He had stepped away to pray, taking three of his disciples. But these were not just any disciples. They may have been considered his closest friends. Scripture tells us that Jesus told his disciples that his soul was so overwhelmed with sorrow that it felt like death. And that he asked them to simply stay and keep watch with him. Jesus came to the father, essentially asking his daddy if there was any other way for the atonement to be made. Yet Jesus asked for and desired his father's will, not his own. He labored in prayer to the point where his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He returned to his disciples only to find them asleep. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray 
so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Sadly, during their time in the garden, scripture records that the disciples not only fell asleep once or even twice, but three times they fell asleep as Jesus prayed. How would you feel? Facing your darkest hour, and those closest to you can't even stay awake and pray. I can only imagine. Have you ever thought about how Jesus must have felt when he went through his trial? The creator of the universe, the creator of the people who were trying him in the dock. As a lawyer, I think about two things in particular. First, I think about the law that he was tried under. Jesus actually went through six trials, three trials under Jewish law, three trials under Roman laws, or at least parts of, uh, parts of trials. And, of course, the Jewish law that he was tried under is the law that is given and celebrated in the Old Testament, and boy, did they celebrate it. Psalms 119 has 180 verses. It's by far the longest chapter in the Bible, and it is just full, verse after verse, of celebration of the law. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, I'm reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple, and it goes on and on. And this is the law that in a very distorted form um, was used in the trial, in the Jewish trials of Jesus. The Roman law is also um, just an amazing entity. Um, as, a, as a law professor, I know that uh, the English laws and the continental laws in Europe uh, derive from the Roman laws. There's still uh, courses in law schools that uh, teach about the Roman law. An understanding of our law um, requires an, an understanding of the Roman law. And yet it, in its distorted form, um, served as the basis of the, the trials of Jesus. But I also think of the defendant in the case of Jesus himself. One thing that strikes me, it's actually struck me this week as I've been, been doing my reading, was Jesus's um, ability when put to verbal challenges. I mean, at age 12, he was in the temples, temple and exchanging um, ideas with uh, the teachers of the law. Um, in the stories of the Gospels, over and over again, the teachers of the law come to test him, to try and trick him. They try and trick him with uh, questions about taxes. If he argues this way, the Romans will be after him. If he argues that way, the Jews will be after him. Um, with questions about divorce, an issue over which 
the Jews were greatly divided. One answer is going to push him one way, one answer is going to push him the other. When the woman caught in adultery was brought to him and the question raised, um, shall we put him under, under, shall we put her to death under our laws? Um, if he agreed, uh, the Romans would have um, um, arrested him for that. In all of those situations, Jesus came up with answers and the people were amazed and the teachers of the law were amazed. But what did he do at his trial? In his trials uh, that were so full of holes that uh, I think any lawyer could have picked him apart, what did Jesus do? Matthew 27 tells us, when Jesus was accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge. One of the beauties of Roman law was that the defendant had a, an opportunity to speak for himself. Jesus didn't open his mouth. And of course, that reminds us of uh, in Isaiah when his trial is described and his crucifixion. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So... Why does Jesus get convicted? Why does he get condemned to death? It's the injustice of the laws, but also his own decision to remain silent. Why is he silent? Because he knows the bigger picture. He knows that he was brought to this point in his life. He was brought to this earth to die for our sins so that by his stripes we might be healed. How would the author of justice feel getting no justice of his own? I can't imagine. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was forced to decide the care of his own mother while he was hanging on the cross. In John 19.25, we see Jesus release her into the care of John. This was an especially important family decision in that culture when a woman has no ability to provide for herself. So while enduring excruciating pain, um, Jesus knew he could no longer care for his mother that he loves so dearly, the one that had faithfully supported him his entire life, the one who had provided for all of his needs as a child. Just two nights ago, I heard the chilling screams of one of my own children. Uh, with a sinking feeling, I raced outside to see what had happened. I swooped in like a hawk and scooped up my weeping child, who's now laying in the front row asleep. 
I brought them in to bandage up, their, bandage up their scraped knees from their latest bike injury. How many times do you think Mary had to bandage up Jesus' knees? How many countless times did she comfort her little boy? There's a unique relationship that a boy has with his mother. Although they love and they respect their father, there's just something special about a mother when they're in pain and when they're suffering, all they want to do is run to their mom. Mary knew she could do nothing to uh, help him escape from the torturers and his looming death. She could hear each lash of the whips. She saw the thorns pressed into his head. How sick she must have felt. As a parent, you would do anything you possibly could to take the place of your child if they were going to be put to death. What a conflict Mary must have been going through. She would do anything to save her son, yet she knew that it was her son that had to save her. 33 years prior, Mary first encountered the angel Gabriel and was told that her son would be the savior that everyone's been waiting for. Then the past three years, seeing the confirmation that truly he was the son of God by all the amazing things he had done, Mary was his biggest supporter. She most likely heard him speak of the sacrifice that he would have to make. But did she really understand that it would end with his death? Either way, there's no way that you could possibly prepare for the horrible climax. As Jesus looked down from the cross, he knew his mom was experiencing all of these emotions. He knew that she felt the pain that he was going through. Fully God, fully man. He was grieving for his own mother. I can't imagine. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus could have stopped this at any point he chose? Part of the human experience is finding yourself a lot of times in positions where you're completely out of control, right? I, uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've been in a, in a car accident before where the car in front of me had run into somebody and they came to an immediate stop. And then my car, as I hit the brakes, begins sliding and you see it coming, but you know you're like, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm going to hit that car. And that sinking feeling of being completely out of control, that's part of the human experience. But that wasn't part of Jesus' experience. That wasn't part of it at all. He wasn't headed towards this cross as a helpless martyr. Like he wasn't out of control. In fact, he tells us when he's describing this, he says, he says in John 10, 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. To me, the fact that he could have stopped it at any point is unbelievable. To keep on marching towards the cross knowing that you could end this at any point. To me, that kind of love, that kind of extreme love for us is unfathomable. When Peter tried to step up in his defense, 
he says to him, he says, do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But, not, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He knew what he was doing. This wasn't an accident. He was going to die for you and I. He was headed to that cross on our behalf. The fact that he could have stopped it at any point and he chose not to is unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. This whole exercise this evening has taken us down a path of some different things to pause and ponder the extent of this sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Hopefully, I don't know if it's possible that you could go through this and I have some different points that connected with you and your experience. How could God do that? I was thinking even as Adrian was describing the mom experience, Jesus looking down, seeing his own mother watch him suffer, knowing what she's thinking, what she's feeling. Hopefully this has broadened our view of what Christ actually did on our behalf. We're going to do one more step, one more exercise in response to this sacrifice. We're going to do what he asked us to do in remembering what he did for us. We're going to serve communion. In fact, as I'm talking now, I can invite up those serving the communion to help out. And this is a chance for us to slow down, pause, do some self-reflection, Work through any, any business that you need to do between you and God. Maybe there's something that you need to confess. Maybe we need to confess not slowing down enough to think about what has been done on our behalf. I don't know, that's between you and God. But this is for those of us that would call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. If that's not you this evening, feel free to just let that pass. But we're just going to have some music playing softly and give you a chance to remember. Luke twenty two nineteen says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's do this in remembrance of him.
Dear Jesus, we're just so grateful. Grateful. I hopeful, hopefully there's a, a rising up of gratitude in this room towards you tonight. Just for what you've done on our behalf, what you've suffered, what you experienced, the loss, the pain, the humiliation, the farce of justice, you as the designer of justice. God, we're just grateful. We're grateful for the sacrifice on our behalf because of our sin put you on the cross. We love you and praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. Do you know that the story doesn't end here? And so on Sunday, we get to celebrate the good news. Anybody for that? Amen, that we serve a risen Lord. I pray you have a wonderful night. God bless you.